are listening to Win Win, a podcast brought to you by the global nonprofit organization Win Women in Innovation. Each episode features inspiring innovators from the startup world, innovation consultancies, and Fortune 500 companies who share their innovation secrets and career trajectories every Monday. As for me, I'm your host, Zoya Kozakov, global product lead at Win by Night and product manager by day. Hello, everyone, and happy February, and of course, happy Black History Month if you are in the U.S. or Canada regions. I'm especially thrilled to have this month feature two incredible Black women on the podcast who are truly changing the game in their own rights, and we are also sharing out and amplifying a ton of different Black voices across our social media networks, so please do find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, and sign up for our newsletter on our website to follow along. Today's guest is Whitney Hawthorne, who is Chief Customer Officer at Navan, or as it was previously known, Trip Actions. You'll hear us use the Trip Actions name, as this rebrand is very, very recent and took place after we recorded the episode. I do talk about it in the episode a bit, but Navan, or formerly Trip Actions, is a B2B SaaS company that enables savings and visibility with an all-in-one travel, corporate card, and expense management solution. It's used by companies like Shopify and Zoom and a bunch of others. If you do work at a company where you deal with travel and expenses, you know what a nightmare it is dealing with it all, even as an employee, but of course for the company itself, it's a major undertaking to manage all of it. Navin is adding OpenAI's ChatGBT capabilities into its travel platform, which I'm personally closely watching, given the exciting capabilities and applications of AI, particularly in this space, which is another reason why I was so thrilled to have Whitney come on and represent the company and talk about her own experience as an innovator. Whitney has done some incredible work throughout her career, including at JetBlue, American Airlines, and working on building the airport of the future, which we talk about during today's conversation. She's also incredibly passionate about managing your life and career as a working mom, and has even created a book, a podcast, and workshops to help working moms manage their very complicated ecosystems. So without further ado, please welcome Whitney Hawthorne to the podcast. Hi, Whitney. Welcome to the Win Win Podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I am so excited to have you on the podcast, and that is for a myriad of reasons. Of course, innovation in travel is such a fascinating topic, as I imagine that our listeners who travel always have pondered how the entire experience can be improved or changed, but also you are a fellow multi-hyphenate. I know you have your own podcast and multiple side hustles, such as being the founder of The Savvy Working Mom. You've been an executive at a Fortune 500 and, of course, are now chief customer officer at Trip Actions. So I'd love to kick us off by hearing about how you went about diversifying your portfolio of things you do in your career. So when did you start doing those side things on top of your day job and why? So I've always had a desire to do a lot of different things. I'm one of those people who growing up, I would say better busy than bored. I realize now being busy is like not the answer, right? You want to be productive mm-hmm. and not to spend your time. <laughs> but I don't like I, I don't like to sit idle. I'm very curious and um, and a lot of that curiosity for me manifests in trying to figure new things out. 
Uh, and, you know, I, I sometimes I think people talk about it as taboo, but I also like to make money. So if I can figure out ways to satisfy that curiosity that also drive profit for myself, for my family, or for others, right, through not-for-profits, um, I think it's a good thing. And so I've I've had side hustles since since I can remember. Coming out of grad school, I worked at American Airlines. And while I was working there, I actually also owned a gym. And oh my God. focused on fat loss for women. So this kind of having something extra Amazing. in my life is always, has always been there. Yeah, no, I, I totally resonate with it. And I've always said when I, whenever I mentor people that are kind of more junior or getting started at their career, I'm like, just so you know, I do the 150 things I do. Yes, because A, they can make me money or they excite me. But more than anything, I think it's such a loss to put all of your eggs in this basket of like, my job will solve all of my curiosities. I mean, you wouldn't say that to like, a husband or a partner or whatever, or even a friend, right? Like, so it's such an opportunity to, to learn from other things. Yeah, I think we're just as human beings so complex mm-hmm. that the idea that one job could fulfill all of the like intellectual stimulus that you need, it's just not, it's not real um, because our jobs do tend to narrow what it is that we need to do on a day-to-day basis, right? We're not baking bread in the morning mm-hmm. and then, you know, taking walks and then, researching something about exercise and then <laughs> like you're just not going on all these different paths in your job you're focused sure, on one thing sure. and that that one thing in certain ways can be broad but it's never as broad as what i feel like our overall curiosity can be I feel the same way. And it, and it fluctuates and changes. And as you have different priorities in life, there's one thing being in startup land and having the opportunity to be a multi-hyphenate and have multiple side hustles, something I've been curious about. And I know we have a lot of people in the innovation space in the startup space versus the corporate space. As you've kind of risen in the corporate ranks and now at trip actions, I'm sure there's this notion of, you know, you have to be really good at your job and you have to give off the image that you are fully invested in your job. So how have you balanced kind Kind of talking about those side hustles with your employer and, and making sure that you are balancing all of the things in an appropriate way? That's a really great question. I would first start by saying I am fully invested in my job and my last two jobs I've been extremely invested in and having side hustles, I think actually makes me better at them because believe it or not, like running the podcast, coaching women, those kind of things fill me up. And so I show up as a happier human being at work because I am because I'm doing those things for myself that kind of re, that that refill me. And when it comes to the actual idea of having side hustles, for me it's been very much one the things that I do on the side are never directly related to my actual job. So like I said when I was working at American Airlines, I owned a gym. There's no correlation there. There's, there's no, no competitive there's no sure. conflict of interest mm-hmm. exactly. Um and then for a while, I didn't have anything else because my jobs were fully fulfilling me. And the job that I have right now, I started in December of last year. So I've been here for about a year. The Savvy Working Mom has been going on for about four years. Actually, I know for four years because that's how old my oldest son is. And I started it right after he was born. I didn't start this to be a for-profit thing. It was more of a, this was a hobby because I had a deep passion, which I'll talk about in a second. But then I quickly realized for the hobby to continue, it needed to be funded. And that's where I started looking for Mm -hmm. ways to make money to fund this hobby that started becoming very expensive. Because as you know, it's very time intensive to to do social media, to edit podcasts, to promote them, things like that. To make the site, it's a lot. Yeah, exactly. To maintain the site, like it's, it all costs money. Um, And so 
I ended up starting the Savvy Working Mom, though, as a response to how I was feeling after having my first son going back Mm -hmm. to work. I had at the time an extremely supportive boss. My team at work was also very supportive, and my husband is extremely supportive. So I had all this support around me, and I was working in a job that I really enjoyed. Like, I like showing up to work every day. For me, there was never a question of, am I going to be a stay-at-home mom or am I going to be a working mom? I always knew I would work and have kids um, because... One, it's who I am. Two, it's how our family is structured. I'm the breadwinner for the family. And three, like I like working. I like being a mom mm-hmm. and I like working. And so knowing that and having all that support, when I got back to work, it was still really, really hard for me. It was tiring. It was exhausting. It was frustrating. I felt pulled in so many different directions. And I looked around at all the other women that I saw who were working and had kids, and they all looked like they were doing okay. Meanwhile, like I felt like I was falling apart on the inside. Mm. So I started asking people like how, first I started doing a lot of research, right? That's just my nature. So I'm like reading all the books that I can. And then I started asking other mothers, like, how, how are you doing this? Like, how are you making it work? And overwhelmingly the response I would get from them is like, am I? Does it look like it's working? You know, and, <laughs> and you're like, some, yes, I thought I was the only one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so, or some level of that, right? Very rarely did I meet a mom who's like, this is how I'm knocking it out of the park, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I was like, okay, so this is hard, but we don't talk about it enough. And the other thing that I saw was all that research I was doing, there was a lot of information on how to grow your career. And there was a lot of information on how to be a great mom. But Mm -hmm. there wasn't information that talked about how to grow your career and be a great mom, which is what I wanted. And so I started a blog, right? Because one, I thought, wow, if that that level of solidarity that I got just from hearing other moms say like, no, this is really hard, was so impactful and just made, relieved a lot of the guilt that I felt and also gave me the strength to to keep going um, in a way and I wanted to make sure that I was able to share that with others and also talk about this thing that I couldn't find anywhere else advice on, which is how do you grow your career and be a great mom at the same time? It's such a good call because it's also turning the experience on its head where it's not one versus the other, it's one and the other, which I think is is really, really impactful. And so much of it is about having the conversation because even that solitude that you felt thinking that everybody's got it under control. I'm sure outside of, you know, your home and personal life at your job, it makes you feel like maybe you can't speak up at that meeting or maybe you're not a valuable team player. So I also want to just give you a huge shout out because it seems like you really know who you are and what your voice is and you're not afraid to speak in a room. And I do want to kind of dig deeper into understanding how you've been able to do that. Has that always been the case? Because I know that so many women, including myself, get into rooms full of men who are either interrupting them um, and oftentimes you feel like your power has been taken away from you. So how do you kind of take back your power? What has enabled you to be able to be a voice in a room always or so yes. it seems? No, it's not always. Okay. It's not always. And this is something that I had to grow and develop. I actually offer a course on this in the Savvy Working Mom called You Belong at the Table because I didn't always feel feel like I belonged at the table and mm-hmm. it took time for me to grow. So I've recognized certain steps that have helped me to do that. And the first thing I want to say, especially to, so for those who can't see me, I'm a black woman. And so I want to say, and I've worked in tech and I've worked on Wall Street and a lot of places where you just don't tend to see a lot of women, let alone black women. And so I've definitely walked into my share of rooms where 
I was the only one who looked like me. Mm-hmm. I may have been the only one who looked like me ever in that space. I've walked into rooms where I was there as an expert in a certain area and the people mm-hmm. across the table from me thought I was there to serve water, like literally. Oh my God. Um, so I've gone through some really interesting experiences being the only person in the room. And the one thing that I've found and I remind myself is that when I show up and I'm the only person who looks like me, I am not an imposter. I am a trailblazer and I am setting the space for women like me to come in the future. And that gives me a level of strength to not hide my voice. Because one, I know I'm there for a reason. I was invited. I don't invite myself Mm -hmm. to these places. I'm invited. They send me the invite and I (laughs) accept it. Right. And so you've invited me for a reason. And I really hunkered down. And what is that reason? What is it that I'm bringing to the table? What is the value that I have? And sometimes I write it on a post-it note and stick it on my laptop. Just mm. like just to remind myself as I, that self doubt starts creeping in, and I look down. Oh, right, you're the expert in X Y Z, Whitney. That's why you're here. And right. I, you know, and I believe in staying in your lane. I stay in my lane. I talk about the things that I know about, but I do continue to remind myself that, and I find courage in knowing if I'm the first person that looks like me that you've ever heard speak intelligently on a certain subject or show up in a professional way, then I am setting the tone for how you'll be thinking about other people who look like me when they show up later. And Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that I set a tone that is not, that is one that is confident and that is intelligent and that understands why they're there. Right. And isn't going to back down necessarily because, because I don't want to allow you to let me be uncomfortable. Right. I'm not going to give you that power. Um, So that's, I don't know if that answers your question, but that is, that that's how I've been approaching it lately. And that manifests in so many different ways, because I think that if there's somebody else who's watching you on the side, even if they're not in the room and they're like, hey, she made it to the room, just that fact alone can create such a self, a sense of confidence for other people, which is why I've seen it kind of like you. I've said, like, this is my responsibility. It's not just an opportunity. It's a responsibility. Another area of leadership that I've also been grappling with, and I love that you use this word, is professional. Even you and I are doing this virtually. You can see my, you know, my skateboards in the background. You can see my couch, right? You're in a sweatshirt. Some of the things that I've been thinking about is as the world develops, whether it's corporate America or these startups, including your own, which is like a multi-billion dollar company, evolve, you know, the role of being professional in being seen as a leader or being an effective leader. So how do you think about that, especially as, you know, culture and generations are changing and people are encouraged to bring their full authentic selves to work? Yeah, it's so interesting. And I think about this a lot because I only know my own experience and I see the world around us changing a lot where my own experience is is archaic, I hope. Right. So when I first started working, um, I've always worked in some level of corporate and I always thought like, look, I I need to show up. I need to do more than others. And I think Mm -hmm. that's true because of how I looked. Right. I had I did have to work harder and I wasn't always given the benefit of a doubt of why I'm at the table when other people were just fully accepted as as they showed up. Um, Mm -hmm. And. And so part of that for me was thinking about how does a professional look? How does a professional sound? What does a professional do? And in my head, in the 90s, it was like, okay, 90s into 2000s, it's like, okay, well, professionals dress a certain way, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're very buttoned up and mm-hmm. they, they always have something to do, right? This is, again, like 
late 90s, early 2000s, like they're busy, they're busy, 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 right? You've always got, uh, when I started grad, so I left grad school in 2010. And I when I started at American in 2010, I was like, okay, I'm always gonna have to have like a folder and a pencil and a notebook and look like I'm like always doing something, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so I I had to look like that. And I, I also thought, along with that, I couldn't be myself, because I'd never seen anyone who was a senior leader who was like me. And so I thought, okay, I should I need to emulate these senior leaders, none of whom look like me, none of whom sh- seem to share the same interests as I do. But that's what I need to do to get to grow my career, right? Mm-hmm, to have mm-hmm. to continue to have good opportunities and work. And then I met a woman who I who I who I worked with, um, Maya Liebman. I think she's the CIO at American now. She's ro- mm-hmm. she's had several different roles, and she was just herself. Like she was at the time, I just remember thinking she's like an environmental warrior. She may or may not identify (laughs) like that, but like she cared about the environment. She talked about having a family. She did all these things that I'd never seen a woman do and Mm -hmm. who was so senior. Um, And I thought, wow, that's super interesting. Like how did, how did she get there like that? And I didn't know if that was for me or not because like she she was a woman she was also a white woman and so I thought wow I don't is that for me can I can I do that has she always mm-hmm. been like that and you know I tried to take as much learning from her as I could but I still I think had a fear of fear of showing up as my full authentic self because mm-hmm. again like no one who looked like me was in senior positions right and then fast forward to when I was at JetBlue, um, someone who became my mentor there pulled me aside and he said to me, he said, look, you're clearly really good at what you do. Mm-hmm. You're, you're very smart. I was a manager at the time. He said, you're very smart. You're really good at what you do. You clearly have a high bar, but I feel like I don't know you as a person. Mm. And I think in this company, for you to move forward, people need to know you as a person. You just need to be yourself. Mm-hmm. And that was really interesting and kind of hard for me because I was like, well, I don't even know how to show up as myself at work. Sure, you know? sure, sure. Like, I don't even know how to do this. But I took his advice and really started trying to to show up as myself. So mm-hmm. when I say show up as myself, okay, fashion, I started not having a wardrobe that was for work and a wardrobe mm-hmm. that was for not work. So I'm not saying like, you know, whatever I was wearing to the club was what I was wearing sure, to work. Sure. But it Sequence. was like, okay, I'm not buying things just because I think this is something that would look good at work. I'm buying yeah. it because this is something I'm comfortable in at work. Or which flattering is, or you feel good in. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so I went, I started doing that. I started talking a little bit more about my personal interest at work, which is something I hadn't, hadn't done before. And in doing that, I really started to see my career take off. And so I don't know, and this is the part that I think is archaic, I don't know if I had to show up in that non-authentic way to get to a certain place and then from there was able to be granted the opportunity to be myself at work Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or or if I had shown up as my authentic self from the start, my career would have grown even faster. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know the answer, but what I do know is that in this moment, the more open, authentic, vulnerable I am, the faster my career has grown. And more importantly, the happier I am at work and the happier mm-hmm, I am at work, mm-hmm. the, like the less energy I'm, that, then that's the less energy I'm spending on those things and the more energy I'm actually spending on doing the job. Um, sure. And that that's really important because like we do have finite energy. And so if I'm not spending that worrying about how are people looking at me and trying to deconstruct who I am and instead just worried about like, what are the outcomes I'm producing and putting all my energy into those, I, I'm able to do better. I'm able to do better, which I think is a huge part of why my career continues to grow. For sure. 
And I want to call out that that's something you can do at every stage. And I know that you almost talked about this trajectory of, quote unquote, earning your stripes to to be able to do that. And I think that makes total sense. At the same time, I think I also had this switch. And I said, I'm so glad I experienced this now where, you know, if I walk into a meeting and people say, hey, how's it going? Instead of being like, good, everything's great. Sometimes I'll be like, well, my family lives in Israel and I really miss them and I can't wait to go see them. And I know that for some people that maybe scares them off or makes them think that I'm more or less professional wherever they land, I know that that's A, the culture that I want to set for the people who work for me and the people that I partner with. But also, like you said, you know, somebody asked me a question, I answered it in an authentic way. Next, let's get to the work, right? And so so I completely resonate with what you're saying. You know, to dive deeper into some of the work that you've done, you've been in the travel industry, you've been on Wall Street, you mentioned some of the really amazing jobs that you've done in your past and of course are currently doing. So I know that one of the projects that you were tasked with throughout your career was building the airport of the future. And so I'd love to hear more about that specifically. And generally, when you think about innovation, how do you go around considering building any XYZ thing of the future, whether that's an airport or an experience or anything like that? Yeah, so the Airport of the Future project was amazing. That was at American Airlines. And when I started there, I was in loyalty. I started out in in co-brand loyalty, which is the credit cards that you swipe to earn miles and points on. But American has a rotational program. So the idea was never for me to stay in that role forever. And at American, the MBAs at the time came in as a cohort. So you've got your cohort of 20, 40, I don't even remember Mm -hmm, how many people, mm -hmm. but you're one class together and you're all rotating through the company every one to two years, taking on a new role, usually within the same vertical. So I came in in the marketing vertical. There's like a marketing vertical, a finance vertical. And so you kind of come in. There weren't a lot of operational verticals, but someone had reached out to me um, when I was kind of a little over a year into or right around a year into my co-brand role and said, hey, um, we've got this really interesting project Uh, called Airport of the Future, and we need a financial analyst for the role. Do you know anyone in your class who would be interested in this? And I think they didn't think I'd be interested because it was a financial role and Mm -hmm, I was in marketing. mm -hmm. But I I just heard Airport of the Future. And I was like, I'm an MBA. Yeah, I was like, I'm an MBA. I have quant skills. And I know know someone who's interested. In fact, I do. It's me. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. So I ended up applying for that role and and I got it, doing the financial analysis. And while I was doing that, I continued to not just like, oh, here, crunch these numbers. It was like, okay, let me crunch these numbers and also share like, hey, if you thought about doing this instead, either you would like multiply savings by X, right? Or multiply, you know, revenue by a Y and maybe like, here's the number, but here's like a backup of something else that you might want to think about. And in doing that, um, I eventually, I believe that's large part of what led me to get promoted to being the manager for the project. Um, And that was just, it was super, it was super fascinating in that I had, it was very heavily involved with IT. So I worked on the screens that people see when they're in the airport. So that screen that's Mm. behind the gate, the screen that you look at for your baggage information, Mm -hmm. all of those information displays are, were a part of the airport of the future because it was very much thinking about what information should we be sharing with people now that we have this ability, right? Because technology has advanced to share more and different information with people. Another big part that I project that I ran was self-tagging. So putting out, I think some of the first self-tagging changer. in the United States, um, which was a huge, huge game changer for both the customers and for the company, for, for individual travelers as well as for a business. And so put that 
put that project out um, as well. And through both of those, had a lot of deep experience with IT um, and tech because tech was behind behind all of it. And I think continuing to ask a lot of questions there and just be very interested in in the how the teams that I was working with were delivering on the things I was asking them to deliver on helped to propel me into my next role, which was doing customer experience for One World. But if I just circle back to kind of what you were asking before, the way that I got into that first very innovative role was by expressing interest in it mm-hmm. and having previously done a good job, right? I was right. doing a good job in my in my old role. I think I had shown myself to be someone who is a problem solver. So like, if you give me a problem, I'll figure it out. And that was a lot of my brand. So I had the quant skills because as an MBA on some paper, it like, looks like I've got the quant skills and I did, <laughs> but I was also a problem solver. And so when that role came to me, I didn't say, oh, I don't know if I should apply. I don't actually have financial analyst experience. And I know they want someone who has that experience. I don't know. I didn't talk myself out of it. I just applied for you it. You just went for it. I just went for it. And then and then I got it. But when you think about like, you know, the future of an airport, the future of an airline, a travel experience, I think for people who are even already in that industry, it can be such a black box. Like, how do you go from joining that kind of project to then saying the output is self-tagging? So take me through like what your innovation journey is as you're thinking about those things? So for me, you're first having to think about who are you trying to solve for, right? Am I trying to solve for the business to drive better profits, drive better margins? Am I trying to solve for the customer to create an easier travel experience? And it's not that these things can't both happen, but if you can identify the one that you're trying to solve for, it clears out a lot of the clutter and then you can add that second thing a little bit later. And once we had that idea, which was a lot about driving, it was a lot about driving margins, but also about creating a more seamless customer experience, you start to look around and think, okay, what, what exists today that didn't exist when whatever's in place was put in place? And how can those different things apply to this end goal that you have? And that was that was largely the the impetus of of doing it. So you have to be curious about what technology is out there, right? And looking around and going like, oh, well, there are, um, you know, the because if you go to the airport, if you remember, I mean, back in in the mid two thousands, there were still those massive printers with the like paper on the, you know, the like little yep. rings on the side, like that's mm-hmm. the type of printer. But you look around and go, actually, there are remote printers now. You don't mm-hmm. have to have this massive giant thing plugged into right. a wall, right? So there's remote printers now. There's touchscreen now. There's all these different things, and how can you put those together to to drive to that one goal that you have? When people think about innovation, they think about inventing the next iPhone or the next Tesla. But I can just say that something that personally changed my life in the travel experience is getting a text message that says your bags are coming out on carousel number four. I mean, game changer. That's like SMS and directions, right? So I I totally hear how you're thinking about it. And I very much resonate with that. In your current company, Trip Actions, uh, for those that don't know, it's an all-in-one platform to create visibility, control, and savings over travel and expenses. But your role oversees all things travel experience, travel agents, uh, the customer service, and the, the customer experience as a whole. So I'd love to hear more about how you are thinking about setting goals that are, of course, fueling the business, but also goals that are driving innovation and how you're really ensuring that those customer insights are connecting to the future of the business and the future of the product as a whole. One of my big goals is aligned completely with the company goal, which is to make travel easy. 
And for travel to be easy, it has to feel intuitive and it has to feel personalized. And it also has to feel seamless. And so that's what we think a lot about. And I think a lot about as I start designing what is the travel experience for our, for our travelers, for our individual travelers. And that is closely coupled with what is the experience for the agents who are supporting those travelers. Because the agents really, truly need to be empowered to, to deliver for the customers. They need to enjoy their jobs. Um, being a travel agent is it's tough work because you're dealing with both uh, the emotional needs of your traveler, depending on how urgent the situation they're in is, as well as the complexity in booking a multi-city international ticket across multiple airlines, right? It's not, it's not always easy. And so for people to do well in that space, they have to have really good tools, really good training and enjoy the work that they, that they, that they do. So I'm always thinking about kind of how do we, how do we do both those things? And yes, looking a lot at technology to, to help answer that question. Trip Agent itself is highly innovative. I mean, it's, it's an amazing change from working for an airline, which is fairly archaic with heavy regulation. I mean, you're putting tubes of metal in the sky every day and flying people around in them. Accurate. It mm-hmm. makes sense why it is heavily regulated. And also that kind of slows things down a little bit to this company that just moves so fast and is really able to capitalize on updates and changes. So I start thinking about, okay, what are the updates and changes happening in the world? And I think one of the things that we've just seen recently is the AIGBT chat that came out and how cool that NLP technology is, right? What they put out there is just so it's fun to use. Um, totally. I think just I from play a around with it all Yeah, the time. I just like going mm-hmm. to play around with this. I asked it, I was like, what are great ideas for a four-year-old birthday? And it mm-hmm. gave me like the most cool response. But thinking about how do we then take that and integrate that into both the agent world? So as the agents are looking for information or trying to source the right response or support for the customer, how do we work it in that way? And then how do we also ensure that the bot that we have is presenting in the best way to our travel so it's seamless and intuitive and Mm -hmm. personalized for them, right? So that's one of the things I'm thinking about right now, but that's kind of how we're always thinking is like, how do we make travel easier? And it's through two facets. It's either through the traveler lens or through the agent lens, because when you improve the agent, you improve the traveler's experience. When you improve the traveler's experience, right, the business gets better. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And and there's so much to do, especially like you said, when your starting point is actually tech first rather than, oh, how do we take a business that's not digital and we make it digital? So before I do let you go, I'd love to ask you one last question. And that's the question we ask all of our innovators. And that is, where do you see yourself and your industry one month from now, one year from now and 10 years from now? So where do I see myself one month from now? So the end of January, I will be in this same role. And in my office, I'm so excited. I relocated to Atlanta because we were growing our agent workforce here. And we are going to be opening our temporary location that will house our agents. So an actual physical location for us to be Amazing. in. Amazing. And yes, in uh, the second week of January. And I'm just really excited to be working in person with folks. Um, mm-hmm. So that is coming. I will physically be in the office in January. That's probably a month from now. Um, I think our industry, our industry is two, right? Because I, when I think about the industry that I'm in here at Trip Actions, I'm in both the travel industry and the tech industry, right? So mm-hmm. when I think about the travel industry at the end of January, I believe we're all going to be gearing up for a return to business travel that we're going to start to see a lot of increase in and bookings and, and people and people actually traveling. So we'll be gearing up to to have a strong travel month like across the globe in in February. 
And then a year from now, I think we'll be at a place where travel is much more normalized. There's been a lot of starts and stops and ebbs and flows in travel. And so I think, you know, that this this will ideally turn into something much more stable and understandable and predictable, um, similar to how not sim- not that the travel patterns will be the same as they were pre-pandemic, but that there won't be these kind of starts and stops that will be at a place where, okay, travel is normal again and everyone is traveling and we're not going to have these like insane drops or pauses mm-hmm. and that airlines will have been able to better regulate their systems and their um, staffing so that we don't see all these cancellations that we were seeing. So just a lot more stability in the travel world, I think, a year from now. And then uh, for me personally, we have, I've been in this role, um, the role that I'm in right now as, as chief customer officer for about six months. And I believe that a year from now, the foundation that I've laid to allow us to scale as an organization will be laid and will be kind of rather than moving big rocks, just tweaking things to, to ensure we're doing the best for our travelers and for our agents. And then 10 years from now, I can't, I I can't even imagine. Um, (laughs) I knew you were going to ask this question and I struggle with like, how was I going to respond to that? But thinking about it, you know, who knows what will be 10 years from now? I think one thing that that I know true for myself is I'll still be chasing interesting work. Like what is interesting? What gets me out of bed in the morning? What are the skills that I want to be working on and making sure that I'm able to like be working on those skills on a regular basis. And then from a travel perspective, the one thing that I, know to be true in my heart is that the importance of being in person will continue to grow year over year. And so 10 years from now, I think we'll all very much recognize how important that in-person connection is. And that will shape a lot of what travel looks like. I love that. Thank you so, so much for coming on, Whitney. I've had so much fun chatting with you, all things innovation, gender, careers. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to Win Win, brought to you by Win, Women in Innovation, and myself, Zoya Kozakov. If you enjoy this podcast, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit womenininnovation.co to learn more about our organization, programming, and other opportunities. And remember, when women innovate, we all win.